Today's scripture reading is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. Luke 1, 39 through 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, now all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her three months and returned to her home. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning again, Calvary family, and thank you, thank you for joining us on our live stream this morning. And I want to thank again Robbie uh, for coming out and leading us in worship this morning. I've had the opportunity to spend some time with him and his wife Elizabeth, and it has just been a sweet time uh, getting to know them a little better. And uh, so, yeah, just super thankful for his willingness to come out here and um, he's also uh, doing our lessons and carols that will be uh, next week. So I hope you can join us on the 18th uh, for our lessons and carols. And it should be, again, again, a sweet time. We are now on the third Sunday of Advent. And one of the beautiful things uh, that we have this year with Advent is our long series that we've been going through, uh, the story of the Bible and the healing of the world is falling on the timeline in line with the story of Advent. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. I want to particularly look at two people in the story before Jesus's birth, and that is Elizabeth and Mary. So we're going to Look, as was read for us in Luke chapter 1 and verse 39 through 56. Uh, before we get going, though, let me just open up in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy and your grace to us in Christ. And we, along with Mary and Elizabeth, are humbled that you would extend your mercy and your grace to us. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And I pray this morning as we look at the lives of Elizabeth and Mary that we will be inspired 
by their beautiful faith and would do likewise. And so, Father, would you, during this time, work by your spirit, work in our hearts and our lives. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 13, I think, does an appropriate job reflecting the place that Israel was in in the time just before Jesus' birth. The first two verses of Psalm 13 read this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I think this is the appropriate place that Israel was at just before Jesus' birth. We are now to the point in the story that we've gotten through the whole Old Testament. Again, our series that we're going through right now, the story of the Bible and the healing of the world. Obviously, we believe that the story of the Bible is about the healing of the world. But it seems that Anything but healing is the experience at the point we are in the story. The point we are in the story now, it feels like God needs to do something. And God needs to do something now. It feels that the plan to heal the world has been compromised. And yet, in God's covenant with Noah, And Abraham, we see God investing himself in rebuilding and restoring creation. So while as we're reading the story, we've read through the Old Testament and we come to this place where it feels like, what is God doing? Is there hope? We also know from reading the Old Testament in the covenants that God made with Noah and Abraham that God invested himself in the Redemption and restoration of creation. He promises with a colored bow in the sky to withhold complete destruction from his creation. And he promises to Abraham that through his family, he will bless and save and reconcile every family of the earth. And this all feels Hopeful when we get to Genesis 12. The story continues with Abraham's family, this family that God promised to restore the creation and bless every family through. Abraham's family story continues in the rest of Genesis. And I think it suffices to say that his family is complicated. They are an unhealthy family. We see as the family continues to grow and multiply, when we get to the book of Judges, that this large family now in the book of Judges, the kind of title over this family in the book of Judges is every person does that which is right in their own eyes. So as this family grows, the rebellion grows. 
This phrase, every person does that which is right in their own eyes, in many ways is a hint back to Adam and Eve's response, doing that which was right in their own eyes. Maybe a little bit of a spoiler alert as we're, we're going this morning. Elizabeth and Mary are the opposite. They are the opposite of doing that which is right in their own eyes. And so as the story continues with Abraham's family, again, this family through whom God is going to bless every other family and restore the creation, as the story continues with Abraham's family, again, it continues to grow and establishes a kingdom. But again, because of their injustice and idolatry, the kingdom eventually is divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And eventually, both kingdoms are taken into exile. Exile for Israel was a complete nightmare. We know after the nightmare was over for Israel of exile that they were able to return back to Jerusalem and to Israel but that time of returning back to Israel and trying to rebuild the temple was not near what it was under Solomon's temple. So for Israel, in the time right before Jesus' birth, as they lived in the land and they had the temple, it definitely was not giving them the vibe of new creation, of all of God's promises fulfilled, let alone even as good as it was under Solomon's temple. And so there is this sense for Israel, how long, O Lord, how long will you forget us? Will you forget us forever? And so again, we are at the point in the story as we've been developing that if God is going to heal this world, he needs to do something and he needs to do something now. I don't know how many of you, probably all of us to some extent, I mean, I think even children, you all can resonate with this feeling of longing, of wanting something to happen and having to wait. Christmas is potentially one of those seasons with presents for children, right? Where you have an idea of maybe what you're going to get and you think you know what you're going to get. And so you have to wait all these weeks before you can open the present you want. Or maybe, on a different level, you've been praying for a long time for someone to be healed from a specific illness or sickness. And you just wonder when it's going to be fulfilled. Or perhaps your finances seem unresolvable and so fractured, and you're longing for help. Or maybe the ongoing experiences of prejudices. When will this end? This longing for something better. Maybe you're in an interview process for a job and you're anxiously awaiting to hear whether you will go to the next part of the interview or to actually receive the job offer. Probably for all of us, this sense of waiting for a post-COVID world. Will it ever happen? Will life ever go back 
to normal. Maybe you've been praying for a friend or family member to truly know the love of God as experienced in a relationship with Jesus. And you pray and you pray and you pray. Maybe any one of these things, you're in right in the middle of waiting for an answer, a positive answer in any one of these. We all can resonate probably, whether from a young child to an adult, uh, this, with this sense of longing, waiting for the next thing to happen. I can specifically remember just even growing up, entering a new grade, going from third grade to fourth grade and who the new teacher was going to be and who would be in my class. I remember feeling that my senior year going off to college, I remember sensing it in a completely different way than my wife would, obviously, but our first child, our second child, our third child, longing for them to be with us. There's so much longing in the world, and this is where Israel was at. And it had the whole flourishing of the world wrapped up into their longings. So the story has come to this crucial moment. Is God actually going to do something? Is he going to show up? Is he going to arrive? It feels as if the only option is for God himself to come and to visit. It is in the midst of this longing, this waiting, this groaning for God to act that Luke introduces us to some amazing women. Luke introduces us to Elizabeth and Mary. When I first started the preparation for this sermon and studying and reading, my plan was to really just focus on Mary. But as I kept thinking and praying over the story of chapter one of Luke, I couldn't help but think of how beautiful the story is of Elizabeth and Mary together and what they represent for us and what they are actually in this story. What a powerful moment this is going to be in which they become the focal point. And so we are introduced to Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. Mary finds out that she is going to be pregnant and so goes and visits her relative Elizabeth. What are we told about Elizabeth? We are told that Elizabeth is advanced in years and that her husband, Zechariah, is also an old man. Zechariah, as we know, from the story of Luke chapter 1, is a priest. Priests would oftentimes, whether living right in Jerusalem, would need to live near the temple. Sometimes they lived in the hillside, kind of out on the outskirts of Jerusalem to get to the temple. They were required to go two weeks a year to do their service. And then many of them, um, because of some of the injustice going on in the temple at the time sometimes the priests didn't even get the money they were supposed to get and so would do normal jobs the rest of the year along with their roles as priests but this would have been a well-respected couple 
And we see them advanced and aged in years. And their respect, though, was compromised. In this community at this time, all of your future security was wrapped up in family. Your ability to have stability and hope and wealth from generation to generation was almost primarily contingent on your ongoing family from generation to generation. And so you have this couple who's well-respected in the roles they have in society, but they don't have the security of the future with no child. But we should not necessarily be surprised when the story of a woman advanced in years becomes pregnant. In fact, when we read the story of the Bible of a woman advanced in years becoming pregnant, we should actually begin to have our ears perk and wonder what God is going to do special. This is a not-so-subtle clue for readers of the Bible when a barren woman comes into the story. We know of Rebecca and Rachel, the unnamed mother of Samson and Hannah, probably the most consistent with the story we have of Elizabeth is Abraham's wife the father and mother of the Israelite nation, the Jewish nation, Sarah, who also both of them were advanced in years. And so what we have Luke doing for us here by bringing into the story Elizabeth is to tell us that God is going to remain faithful to his promises. He has not forgot the promises he made to Abraham and to Sarah. And so when he brings into the story Elizabeth, it's not just to show this amazing miracle of allowing a woman to become pregnant who's advanced in years, as Luke tells us, but it's also to evoke in us a memory of God's promises in the past and that he has not forgotten them and that he will remain faithful. What a beautiful way to tell the story by Luke, that he wants us to think back to Abraham and Sarah as he tells us the situation of Elizabeth. It's really interesting with Elizabeth, when you compare her faith to Zachariah's faith, Mary's voice in the story we have in Luke chapter 1, Mary's voice causes John to leap, as we heard described last week from Pastor Gerald. Mary's voice causes John to leap, and Elizabeth's Humility and faith causes Mary to sing. Zechariah's lack of faith left him mute. And we have this beautiful expression from Elizabeth in her trust and her humility when she says to Mary, and, and we're told by Luke, in a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me? What a beautiful expression by Elizabeth. An expression for all time, for all of those who follow Jesus, who follow the one true creator God. Why? Why is this granted to me? 
that the mother of my Lord should come to me. What a beautiful expression of humility expressed by Elizabeth. And it is so powerful when you see the contrast of the lack of faith of her priestly husband, who's left mute. But Elizabeth's faith causes Mary to sing. And so you have this interworking of Mary and John and Elizabeth. It should be, you would think, right, the priest who is the one that would pave the way of humble faith to welcome the Son of God. But in fact, it is the women and the unborn child that give us the model for how to respond in seasons of waiting and longing. And so this brings us to look a little bit more at Mary. We are introduced to Mary when the angel Gabriel, who was, had a prominent role, as we know from his interaction with Zechariah, he says to Zechariah, uh, I stand in the presence of God. This is a unique archangel who is in, standing in the presence of God, sent to Mary. Gabriel is sent to Nazareth to find Mary, a small, insignificant village in Galilee. I don't think that that is insignificant in the story, that Mary is in an insignificant village in Galilee. In fact, without scripture, it wasn't until 1960s that we even really had evidence of the existence, again, outside of scripture, evidence of Nazareth's existence. It was never mentioned in the Old Testament. We know in John's gospel that Nathanael questioned, could anything good come from Nazareth? And that seems consistent with what God does. He goes right to those kinds of places. He goes to this insignificant small village of Galilee to a young girl who was maybe max 15 years old, who she herself expresses, I'm of humble estate. And Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her, you're going to have a baby. What's interesting is if we know the stories of the Old Testament, we know that a woman advanced in years from a man advanced in years having a baby isn't actually impossible. We should know that God has done that before because we have this interesting phrase for nothing in verse 37 of Luke 1, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. What's the impossible? It's not normal for the woman and man advanced in years to have a child, but it's not impossible. What's more impossible is a woman to have a baby with outside of the normal reality of sexual relationships. 
this is impossible. And Mary seems to wonder if it is impossible in her expression, how will this be? I'm a, I'm a virgin. How will I have a baby? Which seems, according to the angel Gabriel, an appropriate and fine response, a fair question. But imagine Mary's situation. She now needs to go to her betrothed husband and tell him that she's pregnant. And as we know, Joseph ends up staying with Mary. But what about that moment in the story where Joseph tells Mary and agrees that he's just going to quietly divorce her? That may feel like a quick jump in our story and we get on with the Jesus story. But imagine the many, many moments of Mary from the very first moment that Gabriel tells her that she's going to bear the son of God, the son of the most high, the final king of the Davidic throne. From that moment when she's told that, she's not a God to tell her betrothed husband Joseph that she's pregnant. And just to show how unbelievable it might have been for Joseph, sometimes people push back on the virgin birth in, in our modern society. It, it wasn't as an, any more believable for Mary in the first century. It has always been unbelievable for a virgin woman to become pregnant outside of a sexual relationship. And so Joseph follows suit. He didn't probably believe her immediately. And maybe he even did accept her word eventually, but said, I'll quietly divorce you. I won't make a big deal of this. But what's beautiful is God sees this. God sees Joseph's unwillingness to really come in line with the humble response and the story of what God is doing in the world. And so God has Mary's back and helps her persevere. And so he sends another one to go visit Joseph. We see this in Matthew's gospel that an angel goes to see Joseph to tell him what's actually going on. And then Joseph finally believes he should have been willing to follow the story as Mary told him. Clearly, God has entrusted these kinds of important moments to women. If we look at Lou's gospel, who are the two people he entrusts this story that he's going to do something special in the world by sending his son to come into the body of a woman? It's women. It's Elizabeth and it's Mary. And when you go, if you follow Luke's gospel all the way to the end after the resurrection, when we get to Luke and chapter 24, Jesus is buried after his death and there are women from Galilee who go with spices and oils to roll the tomb to go to the tomb, to roll the stone aside, and to take care of Jesus' decaying body. And it is the women then, listen to the story, 
They found the soul the women rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. And you see the transition to belief almost immediately and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words, these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. And it goes on to say, Luke tells us that Peter ran to the tomb to see for himself. Once again, we should have believed what the women told us about what God was doing special in the world. God entrusted Mary and Elizabeth with this unbelievable point in the story that God was going to send his son to come into this world through the life and the body of a woman seems unbelievable right who could he entrust to believe it Mary and Elizabeth and when he comes back to life who can he entrust to tell it Mary Magdalene the mother of James and the other women with them and Joanna What a powerful place they have in this story. And so Gabriel tells Mary that the spirit of God is going to do a work of creation in you. Like the pre-creation scene of the spirit hovering over the face of the deep, the spirit of God was hovering over, overshadowing Mary to bring life and create life in her. The Spirit of God, once again, was doing a profound work of creation. And now Mary is pregnant with the Son of the Most High who will sit on the throne of David. God is making good on his word that through Abraham's family, the promises made back to Abraham and to Moses and to David, that there is going to be one who's going to sit on David's throne who will perfectly, righteously, and justly rule the world with love and humility and compassion. And this man will come to be through the womb of Mary. What a powerful, powerful moment in the story. What other story is like that? Where the creator of the world localizes himself in the body of his creation. We know that God has always localized himself in creation. God has never wanted to just remain distant from creation. He has always localized himself, walking in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden, in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, in the tabernacle, in the temple, and now in our story, Mary's body, the mother of God's incarnate self, 
becomes the temple of God for nine months, carrying the only begotten Son of God. And as we see in Mary's Magnificat, what is the response to this? What is the response to God telling us and making good on his promises that he's going to do something unique and beautiful in our world to bring salvation and forgiveness and life? Sing. Sing. That is... Elizabeth's response is to, to shout with a loud cry. Mary's response is to sing. It's so fascinating to me and Zachariah's lack of faith that left him mute. But the full faith of Elizabeth leads her to shout with a loud cry, makes John leap in his mother's womb and makes Mary respond in song, her Magnificat. And her Magnificat is just a beautiful expression of her faith, referencing herself as humble estate of a servant. But the hope is that God is going to exalt those of humble estate. What a powerful example Elizabeth and Mary have for us in the story. It is so easy to go right past certain parts of the story as we watch how God is going to heal the world. But I ask you during this season and during this moment to sit with Elizabeth and Mary in their joy and in their faith and in their humility. They have become examples for all of us of the appropriate way to respond to the promises and goodness of God. Waiting faith results in singing. That is our call for us during this Advent season is to live with the tension. Yes, waiting, especially waiting and suffering and affliction and pain is incredibly difficult and hard. And yet there is an opportunity not for a trite response of singing, but there is an ability to hold in tension both the trouble we experience and see now with the hope of the future that God is doing something powerful and unique in the world in sending his son to become like us in every respect. Jesus came into this world through the body of a woman just like all of us. He is thus our sympathetic high priest. Come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest. May we, during this Advent season, see and follow the example set before us by Elizabeth and Mary to joyfully trust and follow Jesus even in the midst of waiting and struggle and suffering. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you. <laughs> thank you for stories. Thank you for your word that tells us the most profound, complicated, and beautiful story of all. The story of the real world in which you have thoroughly invested yourself into. For your glory and our flourishing. We are humbled, Father, that you would invest into our lives so that we would know you. Father, I pray for those who are watching in this morning, if they're in a place of struggle and frustration for who knows number of reasons, by your spirit, would you create hope in their life? May they see Elizabeth and Mary as examples for them of how to rejoice in waiting in trouble. Father, we thank you again for your mercy and your kindness to us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.